Good morning. Uh, my name is Tim Hampton. I'm one of the elders here and on the teaching team, and it's an honor to be able to come and share some thoughts with you this morning uh, on forgiveness. That's a powerful song, isn't it? Uh, maybe you've heard it before. My friend Mark recommended I listen to it, and, and uh, the more I listened to it, just the more it drew me in. And uh, if you get a chance to, to go online and just look for the background of the song, there's a, there's a powerful story behind it. But if you've listened to the words, it's just a, a powerful thing. It says, it's the hardest thing to give away. It's the last thing on your mind today. It always goes to those who don't deserve. It's the opposite of how you feel when the pain they caused is just too real. It takes everything you have just to say the word. I like the question at the end, how can I forgive when it hurts so bad? There's just so many uh, deep thoughts in that song that I, I want us to just reflect on as we go into the word here this morning. Have a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have brought us together this morning. You promised when we gather together in your name that you'd be present with us. So we welcome your presence and ask that we would hear from you and, and see you and, and be encouraged and strengthened this morning, Lord, uh, as we consider this uh, word of forgiveness. So I forgive you. I think it's one of the most freeing statements in the English language and probably one of the most difficult. In fact, I was just, just thinking, even just that phrase, that's not a phrase we often say. If somebody apologizes and we mean we forgive them, we'll just say, oh, that's okay, or don't worry about it. And We don't often even say the words, I forgive you. We may practice that a little later, just saying that, I forgive you. But it's a powerful statement, and, and as we think about it, the question of how can I forgive when it hurts so bad is, is a, a real meaningful statement. Uh, some of us have gone through some very difficult times, and some are in the middle of very difficult times right now. Pain of being left behind or abandoned, loss of loved ones, false accusations, hurts even that go back to years ago that are still plaguing us today and, and still uh, hurting us and, and causing pain today. So as we go into this topic of forgiveness this morning, I just pray and I go into it a little bit with trembling because I don't believe forgiveness is something to be taken lightly. It's not a cliche. It's not something that we just kind of gloss over and say, oh yes, you just forgive people. There's a lot to it. And I realize there's a lot of pain, a lot of depth. If we really want to get into this word and think about it, we need to be open to that. But I want to be sensitive to that as well and not in any sense give a feeling that this is an easy thing or this is something we just, oh, you just do it. There is a lot to consider here and rely on God. We've been in the book of Colossians. If you want to turn with me in your Bible to the letter to the Colossian church, Colossians chapter 3, it's about... Uh, three quarters of the way through the Bible, a little bit more, right after Philippians. The uh, passage I want to read here is from, starting with verse 12. We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. Pastor R shared about putting on your patient shirt, and uh, some of us have been talking about that since then. I heard uh, someone say that uh, when he was in traffic the other day, it was a good thing he had his patient shirt on, or some of the people in front of him would have had to wear a patient shirt at the hospital. So uh, that was uh, something to consider. But we, we, we put on the shirt of patience, and, and this whole idea in Colossians is that you take off the old and put on the new. And Pastor R then also talked about forbearance, how we, we bear the, 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 the frustrating things about other people and the things that challenge us, and we take that on and we bear it. 
And then Pastor uh, Bobby Gupta was here last week and talking about, am I really wearing the garments of love? You know, taking off the other things and putting on love. And one of the things that he said that really stood out to me uh, is this phrase. He said, this world is not going to tell me how to live. And that struck me because when we read Colossians, what it's saying is, this is the way of the world. The world lives this way, but there's a whole new way of living when we start to become a follower of Christ. And it's a new way of thinking, a new way of uh, walking. There's a pattern in this world. There's two ways of thinking and living. We can conform to the pattern of the world, or we can conform to Christ, but we can't do both because they're not the same. There's no more stark contrast, I believe, than in the area of forgiveness. Because when you look at the world, the world's idea of forgiveness is, is very slim. It might be just saying, oh, forget about it, forgive and forget. Or, more often the other way, if you think about a lot of the movies we go to see, a lot of them are about something happens to somebody, and then they spend a lot of energy getting revenge or taking, getting even. And, and there's a lot of that. That's just, just the way we think in this world. So there's a stark difference between the way the world lives and the way Jesus calls us to live. We exist to be disciples who make disciples who live and love like Jesus. So how did Jesus live in love? And of course, Palm Sunday here, we're preparing for Good Friday coming up. We remember then, too, that some of the last words that Jesus said as he was suffering on the cross and dying for your sins and for mine was, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. So in Colossians, let's start with verse 12 and verse chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together, and perfect unity. So Colossians 3.13 is where I really kind of want to dwell here today and, and think about. I want to kind of unpack this verse. In Colossians 3.13, just to read it again, it says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And I want to make a few observations about that. Uh, what I see as I read the, that verse in particular, and then I want to go into talking a little bit about what does it mean then to forgive and, and how can we do that? How can we carry that out? The first thing I noticed here is that in this verse, Paul's writing to the Colossian church, and he, and he says similar things in other places. He, he assumes that we have grievances. He says, forgive whatever grievances. And a grievance is you know, something that hurts me, something that maybe offends me, or something that uh, causes me pain. But he assumes that I have grievances. He says, forgive whatever grievances you have. And sometimes I think as, as we approach this, that I think I'm the only one who has grievances or I'm the only one who's been hurt in this way and I have a right to feel sorry for myself and to hold on to those things, to hold on to those grievances. Perhaps no one has it as bad as I do, but he's saying, you know, everybody has grievances. Everybody has pain and suffering. That's the reality of this world, that, that things hurt and things are difficult in this world and we have grievances. So what are we going to do? The second thing that stood out to me is he uses the word whatever. I know different translations say it a little differently, but in the one I have here it says, forgive whatever grievances. And I like that too because it doesn't say that I can pick and choose which grievances I forgive. It's all of them. It's not optional. It means I can't celebrate Festivus. Remember Festivus on Seinfeld? Festivus for the rest of us. Frank Costanza said, Welcome newcomers. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. 
I got a lot of problems with you people, and now you're going to hear about it. <laughs> That's the world's idea. I got a problem, and now I'm going to tell you about it, and you're going to hear about it. I got a problem with you, and I'm going to pass it on to you. But based on this verse, it says we don't have the right to do that. It says whatever grievances, I'm to forgive. And then he goes on, he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So here's an important question for me and for you. Do I believe that the Lord has forgiven me? I believe forgiveness. If I want to be able to forgive as a Christian, I need to start there. And I need to ask, do I really believe that God has forgiven me? And I found there's a couple scenarios here. Sometimes people have trouble with that. They, they can't accept that God has actually forgiven them. They feel like, I've done too many bad things. I, I'm, I'm too far away from God. I've, I've crossed the line, and there's no way that God can forgive me. Then there's other people who are on the other side and feel, well, I'm pretty good. I don't really need forgiveness. Why should I ask for forgiveness when I'm living pretty good? I'm better than most people out there. And you have those kind of two extremes. But I think maybe sometimes almost worse is when we're in the middle. And we think, well, I just need a little forgiveness. I don't need a lot of it. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, and, and I just need a little help from God. I believe one of the greatest hindrances to forgiveness is not realizing how much I have been forgiven. When we read the Lord's Prayer or pray the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive our debtors or those who trespass or sin against us. Forgive as we have forgiven. We're really asking God there when we pray that to forgive in the same way that I forgive other people. Lord, forgive me the same way that I forgive people who hurt me. Can I pray that with any sense of uh, comfort? <laughs> If, people, if God was forgiving me the same way I'm forgiving other people, would I be in trouble? The, uh, the mess, if I had a title for the message, it, was, it would be, As the Lord Forgave You. And I like that word, as, there. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. There's a couple ways you could look at that. You could look, think of it as as, meaning while. So God's forgiving me and I forgive other people. But I think also it's kind of like. Just the way God forgave me, that's the way I should forgive other people. And so he says, forgive that way. That's how you should forgive. Another observation before I go on is, is I, was, I was reading some background and, and reading some of the Greek words that make up this verse. This word to forgive in this, this passage, there's a, there's a word for forgiveness in Greek that just means to take it away, to write it off. And that's a great word. This word comes from the word grace, charis. Uh, it's, it, what it does is it takes the word grace and makes it into a verb, which I think is kind of a neat thing. It's, I grace you. I grace you. And grace has this idea uh, that, that it's unmerited favor. It's undeserved. It can't be earned. In fact, if someone can earn grace, then it's not really grace, because by definition, grace is unearned. In a very similar way, if someone deserves forgiveness, by definition, they don't need it. So I grace you. And grace also has this idea, is not only am I not going to punish you, I'm going to do something good for you. God not only didn't punish us, he's also making things right for us so that we can uh, be benefited from that. He gives us great favor and grace. And so this idea of forgiving is not just holding it against somebody and not just punishing somebody, but going to the other side and now making things right with people and, and blessing them and being an encouragement to the people who possibly have hurt us. So there's a lot of deep things there when we start talking about forgiveness, and it's a hard thing to do. It can't be just passed over. I wrote down as I was reflecting this week nine different things 
nine different realities, I'll call them, about forgiveness. And I just want to share a few thoughts on that as we go. Number one is that forgiveness is not the same as saying that's okay. I've already alluded to that earlier. It's not saying, oh, no big deal, or don't worry about it. I had a friend, I have a friend, uh, who uh, has uh, moved to a different state, but I remember uh, we were together with some families, and there was a little boy who was playing in his yard, and he was doing something, and he broke the latticework that was under my friend's deck. And uh, Eric, uh, the, the boy's father, brought him to Eric and had him apologize. And Eric, rather than saying, oh, that's okay, he said, I forgive you. And for some reason, that really caught my attention that day. And I've thought about that a number of times. That's a strong statement. I forgive you. It acknowledges that what was done was wrong. It's not right. It's not acknowledging forgiveness is not condoning sin. It's not condoning something that's wrong. It's acknowledging it. So when I forgive somebody, it actually accentuates the fact that something was done wrong. So it's very just, but it's also a choice then that I can forgive in spite of that. So forgiveness is not just saying that's okay. It's not condoning sin. The second thing is that forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. How many of you have trouble remembering things? Anybody forget things? Like where I put something, where did I put my keys, what was I supposed to be doing, why did I walk in this room? Or we forget people's names. We have trouble with that, right? Why then is it so hard to forget the times that people have hurt us? We forget all the other things, but those things stick in our mind. It's kind of a cliche of the world, forgive and forget. But I believe that if we waited, if I waited until I forgot, I would really never forgive. And if I actually did forget what happened, I wouldn't really have forgiven it, I would have just forgotten it. So those two things really can't go together. To truly forgive, I believe I need to remember what someone did and then choose not to bring it up again. To choose not to call it to memory, to not talk about it. One of the reasons I don't forget the wrongs that happened to me, I believe, is that I continually retell the story. Have you ever done that? Somebody does something to you, maybe as simple as cutting you off in traffic, and then what do you do all day? You tell people all about it, and, and, and we retell the story all day. So rather than forgiving, I'm just stirring it up. And the reason I remember it is I repeated it a hundred times today, so of course it's going to stick in my mind uh, more than the things that I really should be thinking about. So why do I do that? I know people, and you may know people like this too, have been telling the same story about something that happened to them 20 years ago, and they still get upset when they tell the story. Have you met somebody like that? or experienced that, I might not be able to forget, but I can choose not to bring it up every day. And I believe there's a difference there. Forgiving is not just forgetting what happened. A third thing is forgiveness is not contingent on an apology or repentance. And I think that's important as well. Sometimes we think, well, I don't need to forgive that person because they never asked for forgiveness. They never came to me. They never apologized. Or they never changed. They never stopped doing what they were doing. If I have to wait until a person who hurt me apologizes or repents, I might be waiting forever. It's like someone says, here, hold this hot iron, and then they walk away. And I take it and I hold it, even though they're never coming back for it. It's bad enough that they burnt me in the first place, but why should I continue to hold the hot iron? You should just put it down. So forgiveness is not waiting for the guy to come back and take it back from me. It's saying, I'm choosing not to hold that anymore, and we let it go. Some people will never apologize or change their ways. But we're called to forgive as God forgave us. In Romans 5, it says that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. So his approach was before we did anything to turn to him or repent or ask for forgiveness, he paid the price for our sins. Number four, forgiveness is not always reconciliation. I believe reconciliation is a goal in Scripture, and Paul talks about that we're ministers of reconciliation. That's what we're called to do, is to bring peace and bring relationships back together. But at the same time, reconciliation does require two people to work together. I could want reconciliation, but the other person does not. And it's hard to deal with that. How do I forgive when that's the case? Sometimes the other person could no longer be alive. What do I do then? The idea of reconciling is not real likely. It might not be a safe thing to reconcile. Sometimes there's issues there. Just because I forgive someone doesn't mean I want to have vacation with them. But there is a matter of choosing to forgive and letting that go. And that's hard to wrestle with and that's hard to deal with. But it's not the same always as reconciliation. The fifth thing I wrote down is forgiveness is not always once and done. Anyone know the significance of the number 490 in Scripture? What is it? Seven, what is it? 70 times 7. 70 times 7 is in Scripture, and in the context is uh, Peter says to Jesus, he's, he's trying to maybe even justify himself a little bit, he says, Lord, when somebody sins against me, how often should I forgive him? Should I do it seven times? I mean, he's like thinking he's being real generous. He says, well, maybe seven times. They, they had the idea even then that it was three times. You should forgive people three times, and then after that, like three strikes are out. We kind of do that today. But he said, should I do it seven times? And Jesus says, no, not seven times. Seventy times seven times. 490 times. Now, I don't think he's just saying, oh, I'm at, uh, you're at 489. You're in trouble if you do it again. <laughs> he's saying, continue. Continue to forgive. Being generous, uh, we, we continue to forgive. How many times has God forgiven me? That's the number of times I need to forgive when somebody sins against me. It's also not, only, not always once and done because the other thing that complicates forgiveness is sometimes the consequences are still in place. If my spouse left, they may still be gone and I may still have to deal with the consequences of that. And then every day there's something new that comes up that oh, now I have to forgive about that too but continue to forgive. It's almost like the offense uh, needs to be forgiven again, but it's a process of forgiving then also. I may still have fears because of a traumatic experience, and when I have anxiety again because of something that happened to me, I may need to forgive again. So there's constantly uh, the act of forgiveness. On the one hand, forgiveness is a decision that's made once, but it's also continue a living out the forgiveness as we go. Number six is forgiveness is not about setting the offender free. And here's what I want to share about that. Just a a little story about my experience growing up. For years, I lived as a prisoner of unforgiveness, I would say. I can still remember the note that my dad left for me when he left my mother and our family when I was a sophomore in high school. And I always struggled with my relationship with him even before that. I never felt like I measured up or pleased him, or had a connection with him. And in the middle of all this, I remember my mother crying a lot in pain. But one of the things I will say is that I never once heard her speak ill of my dad. She continued to encourage me and my siblings to reach out to him and to keep trying. And she prayed for him, she prayed for us. I'm so blessed to have a mother who followed Christ in her life 
And her example planted many seeds when I was young that still benefit me today. But even so, I wasn't able to escape a lot of the bitterness in my heart. I was angry a lot. My grades started going down. I started getting involved with bad habits, pushing limits. When I got married, my wife encouraged me to continue to reach out to my dad, and I did. We did get together from time to time, and, and we worked, I worked at developing a relationship, but it was always just a little bit beyond reach. I knew I should forgive him, and I, and I did, but I still had bitterness that would flare up in my heart. We'd get together, and I'd have this underlying feeling. Then we got the news one Saturday in January that he had suddenly died, and my hope of reconciliation really was gone. And there was a period of time, a number of years, where that shadow kind of was over me all the time, and I, and I would kind of have a bitterness and kind of have a little bit of anger. But God was doing something in my life as well, and I believe some of the seeds that my mother planted as she modeled, how do you live a life of forgiveness? I'm not sure when it happened, but as I continued to seek forgiveness and to work at forgiving my father, something changed. And I've been set free, I really can say, from bitterness, and, and I don't even know exactly when it happened, but I would encourage you to, if you're, if you're not feeling it, that's okay, continue to seek it, because God is at work. And I remember at, at one point realizing that I used to always, when I'd think of my dad, I'd think of him kind of frowning and kind of unhappy. And at some point, something changed, and every time I thought of my dad, I thought of him laughing. I thought of him smiling, and I could hardly stop smiling when I would think about my dad and, and the, the, just, just things that I liked about him, things I admired about him. And something changed, and I was set free after years of wrestling with it. And it reminds me of a quote that I heard by Lewis Smedes. It says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. I felt for years I had to hold my dad accountable, and I couldn't really just let it go because he, he really didn't treat us right but I was the one that was in bondage. I was the one that needed to be set free. So setting forgiveness is not necessarily setting the offender free, but it is setting me free. It is setting us free. Number seven is forgiveness is not weakness. It can seem like forgiveness is letting someone off the hook, not standing up for myself. But if you think about it, it's really a position of strength. I have the right to hold this against you, to take revenge, to throw the book at you, but I'm doing a hard thing by choosing to forgive instead. Ironically, if you hurt me and I refuse to forgive you and hold a grudge, I'm giving you power, and you have power over me, and now you're controlling my life, and you may not even think about me anymore. But when I forgive, uh, it is weakness that's founded in strength, or strength that's founded in weakness. As Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Number eight, I would just say again that forgiveness is not easy. It shouldn't be taken lightly. We sinned against God, but he did not take it lightly. God didn't just say, oh, don't worry about it, no big deal. He came and took the consequences of sin on himself. And he died an excruciating death on the cross. And I'll give you a vocabulary word this week. This word excruciating, actually the root of it is the word cross. So, so the word that we use to talk about the most painful thing there is comes from the death of Christ on the cross, excruciating. He came and did that for us. It wasn't easy. Forgiveness of our sins required a death. The wages of sin is death, but he took that on himself. To forgive people who sin against me also requires the same, I believe. I die to my right to hold the offense against them. I die to my right to get revenge. I die to my right to punish them or make them pay. I believe forgiveness requires a death. 
Am I willing to do that? Number nine, forgiveness is not an option for a disciple of Christ. Jesus taught forgiveness. He said things like, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Well, that's a hard statement. But Jesus lived it, even to the point of death, as we said. If I claim to be a disciple of Christ, but continually walk in unforgiveness, I'm deceiving myself. If I hold grudges and take revenge, I'm not living and loving like Jesus. It's not an option. There's a beautiful picture of this from a town close to where I grew up called Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. And some of you remember uh, a number of years ago, I think it was about 2006 or so, there was a, a, a milk truck driver who went into an Amish school and shot about uh, 10 little girls. Just devastating. Complete evil. But the beautiful thing was that the immediate response of the Amish community was forgiveness. Because they said, we don't have a choice but to forgive. That's what Jesus commanded. That's what Jesus did. Now they admitted, and, and if, you, if you read what's happened since, they admit that it's still a struggle. The pain is still there. It doesn't take the pain away, but the decision to forgive was already made. And what I like about that is they made that decision before the thing ever happened. They had in their mind that when somebody hurts you, the response as a Christian is to forgive. So what should we do? What should I do? A few final thoughts of how do we respond to that. The first is this. Accept forgiveness. If you've never accepted forgiveness for your sins that's available in Christ, start there. When I came to the realization of how much I needed to be forgiven, I had much more forgiveness to offer other people. It was like forgiveness flowed through me and out to other people. And I can stop that up two ways. If I don't accept what's coming in, it's going to trickle up and die, and I won't have anything to give to anybody else. Or if I stop it from going out, I'm not going to forgive you. It's going to back up, and nothing's going to be able to get out anyway. So there's a a flow, I believe, that when I accept this forgiveness that Christ has given me, now I have something to offer you. In fact, I have an unlimited resource to offer you as well. So accept forgiveness. The second thing is choose to forgive. Don't wait for the emotions to change. Don't ignore them or deny them or pretend that it didn't hurt, but make a decision that I forgive. I like uh, somebody that I heard teaching on forgiveness years ago would say that you know, sometimes you need to verbalize this. Not necessarily to the person even, but she would teach, she said, in the name of Jesus, in her prayer time, she said, in the name of Jesus, I forgive blank. And make that statement. And as we make that statement, I believe that's where God also then steps in and starts to make the change in us. But he waits for us to make that change, make that statement before that he step in. But make that decision, make a choice. I'm choosing to forgive. Another thing, third thing, is stop telling the story. Stop telling the story and reliving it. Because I find that it's hurting me more than it's hurting the person I'm talking about. I'm the, the, the person who cut me off in traffic doesn't even know who I am. He's going about his day, and, and here I am still upset and, and stressed about it, and, and, and I'm living in a state of unforgiveness. And that's a very minor thing, but it goes from there. 
Sometimes we do need to talk about it with someone or share pain. I'm not talking about that. But the other side is let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, only what's helpful for building others up. That's in Ephesians where Paul also talks about forgiveness. He says, start to speak differently. And I saw that in my mother, that she would speak in a very wholesome way. She would not uh, retell the story. We all knew what happened, but she didn't have to continue to say it and tell us. And it allowed for healing for her and for us. The next thing is pray for the person and bless them. Now we're getting a little more difficult. Somebody hurt me. And now God calls us. He says, not only don't get revenge, but now start to pray for that person. Do good to them. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's hard to hold a grudge against someone I'm praying for. And my prayer shouldn't be, Lord, punish that person. It should be, Lord, bless that person. And as as I start to do that, I believe that frees up something in our heart and our spirit as we pray for their well-being and pray that they would know forgiveness that they have in Christ. I think it's one of the hardest things to do, but some of the greatest freedom comes with stepping to that level. Follow Christ's example that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do something nice for them. Bless them. And as we do that, it starts to change our attitude and change us. It may not change them. It might, but it might not. But it does change us. And the last thing is this idea of practicing preemptive forgiveness. It's an idea that I heard somewhere a number of years ago. It starts with little things. Preemptive forgiveness is the idea of forgiving, before, first of all, before somebody ever comes and asks me. I make a decision. Somebody hurts me, I make a decision to forgive them before they ever come to ask me. And if they never come to ask me, I've already forgiven them, and so that's done. So I do it preemptively. But I think even more importantly, it's preemptive in the sense of I can forgive somebody before they even hurt me. And as we start to get that into our minds and start to think about how to Christ live, someday you're going to hurt me. Someday your spouse is going to hurt you or you're going to hurt your spouse. Someday your friend is going to hurt you. And I can make a decision right now, when that happens, I'm going to forgive. I may have to deal with some pain. I may have to work through it. It's no longer a question of if I work through it, but now how am I going to do it? Because I've already made the decision to forgive. I like a a quote from Ruth Bell Graham, Billy Graham's wife, where she said, a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. I like that picture. Don't wait for the other person to forgive first, though. Become the one that initiates. And I believe it's not just true in marriage, it's true of any relationship that we have. And as we accept that and embrace that, I believe it will change our world. It will breathe life into relationships that are painful and set us free from the grudges and bitterness Uh, that so often hold us back. I want to conclude just with a a time of prayer and would encourage you to to be thinking about forgiveness and thinking about how much God has forgiven you and uh, be praying about, Lord, how can I forgive and how can I accept that freedom uh, that you died to give me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done, for how you loved us, and that before we ever turned to you, you reached out to us. Thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us. Let that flow through us. Let it change us. Let it transform us. We give you all of our bitterness and all the anger and all the hurt, Lord, and all the pain. Pray, Lord, that we would be followers of you who live and love like you, that forgive like you, that treat people and see people the way you see them. Lord, change our hearts. Set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace.